Hello everyone. Today we are looking at Proverbs chapter 23 verses 9 through 18. Here's what it says. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My innermost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. So in today's passage, uh, we do have quite a bit to cover. And, and Solomon, he reminds his sons and us of a number of do nots that I'm pretty sure we've already covered in previous Proverbs devotions. And, and now with these reminders, he's also included a charge to exercise wisdom in all things. Now I believe what he mentions are some really complex issues in any culture, and they would be difficult to apply with understanding if we did not exercise discernment with the Holy Spirit's help in our life. Uh, so Solomon mentions a few things here. Let me just touch on them. Things like how we should be careful with our words. I know I need wisdom and discernment in this one. He talks about moving landmarks, and I think this might include moving any kind of boundaries that protect the vulnerable. He talks about uh, disciplining children, even with a rod. In today's culture, our minds might directly go to a steel rod, but from what I've read, this likely refers to a, a wooden stick of some kind. Again, we need discernment in this, for sure. We address this in Proverbs 22.6 devotion. So today Solomon also talks about being caught up in the trap of, of envying our neighbor. And all these things that he's mentioned are serious and can easily be rationalized to suit our own benefit, right? So since I believe we already discussed these things, today I mainly want to talk about discernment in all these things and the encouragement that Solomon gives us in pursuing instruction, knowledge, and wisdom. So let's look at three parts of this passage I want us to reflect on. First verse 12, apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. <laughs> that word apply carries with it much more than just hearing with the ear, right? And it's even more than understanding the instruction or a set of facts someone might be sharing. Whenever our boss gives us instruction, he intends us to follow up by applying it with actions. In other words, do what he says. <laughs> Parents expect the same from their children. They want them to apply what they teach them so that their life will bear out truth through actions. And if you go to church, Hopefully your pastor preaches God's word. 
not just so you'll know the facts of the Bible, but so that there also might be application in our lives, like worshiping God better and loving our neighbor better. I suspect that there are thousands of people who know God's Word inside and out, but have never been awakened to the spiritual truths that can transform our heart's condition to application. And so Solomon says, apply your heart. So let's move on to verse 15 and 16, which says, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. And most usually I think parents, they have great hopes for their children when they're born and when they're being raised. And surely Solomon had the same aspirations for his own children. I mean, parents, they do. They dedicate so much time and energy and money raising their children. And when their lives begin to show attributes of godliness and worship of God and unselfishly loving their neighbor, it's indescribable what effect that this has on the hearts of godly parents. It's an amazing thing. And Solomon says, His inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. You know, our Heavenly Father, He also takes delight in His children when they grow in these same areas. As they see more of His glory, His beauty, uh, as they understand more of how He's good news for their soul each day, as they reach out and love to others, even sharing the beauty of Jesus that they've seen with them, I think this brings a smile to our Heavenly Father. And basically, I think it's really simple. God abhors sin. He turns His face away from sin and from those who choose sin over Him. And He looks to those with favor who are righteous. He looks at them with acceptance and joy. If we went all the way back to the days of creation, we could see that before sin entered the world, God delighted in all his creation. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. But when sin came through Adam and Eve, it did not please God. Nothing changed the character of God. The fact that his delight would still only be in that which is pure and righteous, even perfection. <laughs> Although he loved the world, he could only delight in those who followed him, those who believed him, those who walked in righteousness. Unfortunately, from that time on, all of mankind were sinful souls, and they would need a foreign righteousness applied to their lives if God were ever to delight in them. And like Genesis 3.15 and so many others, Isaiah 42 pointed to the coming Messiah, the perfect one, whom God would find his delight in. Verse 1 says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. 
I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then when Jesus did come, right? Uh, at his baptism, you may remember Matthew 3, 17 records this. It says, And behold, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so this one whom his Father loved, whom he was pleased with, God's only Son, he came. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life that neither Adam nor Eve, nor you, or I, nor anyone else would ever live. In 1 Peter 2.22, speaking of Jesus, says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Just thinking about it, God delighting in his Son, who is good and perfect and righteous in every way, that's not surprising. But where does that leave us who are broken in our sin? How could we ever please a righteous God? Well, our acceptance with God is made possible, of course, because on the cross, the righteous Jesus became sin for us. And as the Father does with all unrighteousness, He turned away His face from His only Son as He bore our sins in His body on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God turns away from sin. He, he does not fellowship with unrighteousness. In Matthew 27, 46, from the cross even, Jesus himself quotes David from a prophecy about himself out of Psalms 22. Here's what it says, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So God looked away from his only begotten son. He looked away from sin as Jesus was paid the wages of our sin so that all who hope in him receive his righteousness and in so doing, receive God's delight. So today, as we look to Jesus as our treasure, our desires for the treasures of sin are dying, similar to how Jesus died for us on the cross. And we'll touch on this again in just a moment. Finally, in verse 18, Solomon, he indicates that there is a sure. Uh, there is a guaranteed hope for those who God has given a heart that no longer seeks after the treasures of the world, all the darkness, uh, all these dark things that he has mentioned. Solomon says, verse 18, Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. And why is our hope secure? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. He defeated the hold of sin had over our lives through the law relating to death. And uh, what does God's law say? It says the wages of sin is death. It also says that the soul who sins shall die. So in his resurrection, Jesus defeated the hold that sin had over death, but he also defeated the hold that sin has in our life as we face temptation. 
Remember, Jesus never sinned, and yet he died for our sin. While we sinned, but now have died to sin. Now, the Apostle Paul, he covers both of these victories that occurred uh, relating to Jesus' resurrection and how it applies to our life. He covers them in Romans chapter 6. Here's just a little clip from that, beginning with verse 5. For if we have been united with him in death, speaking of Jesus, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. (laughs) Look, for God to be pleased with us, It's a matter of his own work in our heart uh, concerning things like humility and faith and repentance. And God, he delights in those who look to him for mercy, in humility. Uh, Psalms 149.4, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Psalms 147.11, But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. And in Romans 2.29, the Apostle Paul, he also speaks of those whom God exalts over. He rejoices over. Romans 2.29, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Father God, thank you for your word today. I pray, Lord, that you give us insight and um, knowledge and understanding and, and wisdom and discernment so that we might apply the truths in your word and so that we might also share them better with others we meet, Lord. Thank you for your gospel that is uh, shown to us and tied to every aspect of your, your word, Lord, how your word fits together so perfectly. And thank you for the sure hope that we have because of your only begotten Son. Hope for the future because Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a wicked sinner's death. He defeated the wages of sin by rising from the grave. He gives his righteousness to all who delight in him. And you delight in all who delight in you. And then you give us that same resurrection power in life over slavery to sin as we walk with you, Lord. And you will raise us up, incorruptible, no longer slaves to the bondage, uh, to the entropy associated with sin, no more hate, prejudice, relationship issues, No more sickness, pain, even death, and we will be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.